In this passage, I will examine early biblical days in the land of Israel, and particularly the land that became the northern kingdom. I will relate certain signs and historical events observed in Scripture to our current end times. More specifically, I will discuss signs and events that may apply to today's northern kingdom, which I have described in detail in previous passages includes the United States, the nation of Babylon. I have shown previously on this site that the U.S. is a very significant part of today's last day's northern kingdom and is the primary, foremost nation of the last day's worldwide kingdom of Babylon. I will examine several selected historical biblical time periods and phases and will summarize particular events in each that are likely to repeat in today's northern kingdom given Bible prophecy, or at the least the precedent of repeating patterns and cycles of events that is so common in Scripture. Time periods that I will examine here in Part 1 include Early Israel Time of Jacob Israel's journey into the Holy Land, Time of Joshua conflicts in assuming the land, Time of the Judges Israel's early kings, Time of Saul, David and Solomon. I will address each of these time periods in its separate section, then, for each, after I provide a relatively brief summary of selected relevant events during this time, I will conclude each section with a side-by-side comparison of particular historical events alongside similar, correlating events that we anticipate may occur in these last days according to Scripture. In a similar manner, my next passage part 2 will focus on events from the remainder of the time of the kings in the northern kingdom prior to its dissolution, and the possible precedent of these events pertaining to what we may expect to occur in our current last day's northern kingdom. Early Israel, Time of Jacob Jacob lived in the land promised to his fathers Abraham and Isaac where they lived as strangers among the Canaanites. On separate occasions, God reaffirmed his covenant promise to Jacob, i.e. his latter dream, and after his wrestling with an angel of the Lord. Meanwhile, Jacob's situation of being surrounded by foreigners eventually caused him to flee outside of Canaan at the request of his parents in order to take wives from his own family line. Jacob met up with his future wife Rachel and her father Laban, his uncle and Assyrian. In the course of serving for Laban's daughters as his wives, Jacob suffered oppressive mistreatment. Even Laban's daughters observed how their father had considered them as strangers and had stolen their money. Laban had also deliberately mingled Jacob's cattle that he raised, an act that an angel of the Lord who appeared to Jacob acknowledged. This angel instructed Jacob to return to the land of his kindred. In fleeing with his wives and re-entering across the Jordan, Jacob had two bands, with Leah and her children first, followed by Rachel. We are told that there were wars in the land around them, and of course Jacob's primary concern was his brother Esau. Laban also pursued Jacob's family as they fled. In his distress over his enemies, Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord and prevailed. God delivered him and told him that his new name would be Israel from that point on. In his new birth, so to speak, Jacob requested for his household to be clean from foreign gods and idols. As one example, Rachel had previously taken false god items from her father Laban, unbeknownst to Jacob. Jacob proceeded to set up his land, house and cattle in a couple of locations. We are told that Jacob's sons, Israel's original patriarchs, fed the flock in Shechem. On one occasion, Jacob instructed his younger son Joseph, his favorite, to go check on his flocks. Joseph went to Shechem and explained his two dreams, i.e. sheaves and stars, that inferred his brothers bowing to him. Joseph's father's favoritism in these dreams caused his brothers to become envious, to throw him into a pit, and to sell him to Ishmaelites passing by. Of course, Joseph as an eventual king in Egypt serving Pharaoh was later reunited with his father and brothers in a somewhat near-term fulfillment of his dreams. Themes from Jacob's time applicable to the end times northern kingdom. 
Given the abbreviated summary of early Israel's story above as seen through Jacob's life, the following table lays out some possible associations with our current last day's time period during which end times Jacob and his small flock remnant reside in Babylon U.S. This holy remnant will carry the baton of Jesus' covenant back to him and will proceed to serve him in the millennial kingdom. Items in column 2 have addressed extensively in prior passages on this site. Column 1, Jacob and Family Israel Column 2, End Times Jacob Judah Small Flock Remnant in Today's Last Days Northern Kingdom 1a. Dwelt as Strangers Among Canaanites 2a. Dwell Among Antichrist Chaldeans in Babylon 1b. Dwelt Amongst Foreign Gods and Idols 2b. Dwell Among Numerous Antichrist Chaldean Idols and False Gods, Especially in Babylon U.S. 1c. Oppressed and cheated by a Syrian father-in-law and served double for his wife prior to God's angel encouraging him to flee 2c. Taken captive, i.e. in bonds, and will become desolate prior to God's deliverance 1d. Surrounded by enemies, conflict and wars 2d. Will experience first-hand events leading to the time of Jacob's trouble, including severe societal conflict and end times wars 1e. Son Joseph was rejected and sold by his brothers 2e. God to last days Israel's rulers, that drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Am. 6-6, 1f. Re-entered the land with two bands 2f. Will lead twelve tribes, sticks of Judah and Ephraim ref, easy. 37-19, back into the land 1 gram. Given a new name by God Israel 2 grams. Possible recipients of God's prophetic promise, and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Is 62-2. Israel's Journey into the Holy Land, Time of Joshua. Joshua and the activities surrounding himself and Israel in his ancient day certainly also have symbolic meaning that we might consider for the last day's northern kingdom of Israel. Joshua himself was an Ephraimite, whose own land inheritance was on Mount Ephraim, and this is where his body was lain when he died. Joshua and his fighting men came from the wilderness and then crossed over the supernaturally dried up Jordan with the larger house of Israel in tow. At this time, Joshua built an altar in honor of God's statement. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Josh 5-9. I will explain a little bit about the significance of Gilgal later in this passage. Meanwhile, their entering the land represented another kind of deliverance out of Egypt. The altar of twelve stones they built represented Israel's one man per tribe who were the heads of the initial fighting force alongside Joshua. Like Jacob, described above, Joshua experienced God personally and made several altars to him in the land on behalf of Israel. Also, like Jacob did with his own family, Joshua exhorted the people, Israel, to be sanctified. Joshua repeated God's covenant to them more than once in the northern land and Mount Ephraim including God's potential blessings and curses, which would be dependent upon their faith and obedience. Thus, in some ways, the land the tribes entered that eventually became part of Israel's northern kingdom was another sort of wilderness as in the days of Moses. Joshua was similar to Moses in that God spoke to him directly, then he exhorted the people in obedience to the covenant, and the tabernacle among them rested in Shiloh. Joshua was told in a vision by a man of the Lord that he was standing on holy ground in a part of the land where he had newly circumcised the Israelites. Meanwhile, the various Canaanite people living in the land became frightened because they were aware of Israel's power with God behind them, and had probably already assumed God's instruction to Joshua that he and Israel should go up and fight against the nations and take the land. We are told that in Joshua's day that not a city made peace with the children of Israel, Josh 11:19. 19. 
This was by God's intentional design as He had hardened the hearts of the surrounding peoples. The last days house of Israel and Christ's believers will experience the same kind of enemies. Joshua and his fighting men camped first at Gilgal. Their first battle was then nearby in Jericho, approximately at the border of what would eventually become the dividing boundary between Judah and the northern kingdom. Interestingly, the battle at Jericho represented a kind of picture of the last day's struggle between Babylon U.S. and God's holy Jacob Judah small flock remnant that I have described previously on this site given, the timing involved, i.e. symbolic number of days marching around the city, the supernatural destruction, and the symbolism of the city's wall falling down. Perhaps one more symbolic indicator was that God instructed Israel not to touch any accursed things from Jericho. One fighter took a Babylonian-type garment, an act that was a setback for Israel and an act for which he was killed. Similarly, recall from Jacob's story above that Rachel had taken an unclean item from her father Laban. Also keep in mind that in these last days when Israel comes out of Babylon that they are instructed to touch no unclean thing. After conquering Jericho, Joshua's troops went on to continue warring, for the most part with great success, against peoples of the land. There were several instances of God's supernatural intervention slash assistance on their behalf. They were eventually victorious to the extent that Joshua could allocate land by tribal affiliation. As they went forth and assumed the land, they still had instructions to leave no Canaanites remaining, otherwise, they were told that the Canaanites would be a thorn, snare, or scourge. In land assignments, perhaps most notable and applicable for this current passage related to the north land and last day's northern kingdom that was of the house of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. They told Joshua that their allocated land was not enough. Joshua exhorted them as a strong people to go forth and fight to take a nearby mountain, clearing out its trees. They fought against their enemies, but did not completely clear them out. We are told in Scripture that the Canaanites, live among them to this day, which carries possible prophetic implications for these last days land and people of Ephraim, considered to be primarily in Babylon U.S. Themes from Joshua's time applicable to the end times northern kingdom. The following table summarizes key events from the time of Joshua alongside similar events that will occur in the last days, particularly among the end times Jacob Judah small flock remnant. Items in column 2 have addressed extensively in prior passages on this site. Column 1, Joshua and Israel Column 2, End Times Jacob Judah Small Flock Remnant in Today's Last Days Northern Kingdom 1a. Israel's Twelve Tribes Cross the Supernaturally Dried Up Jordan 2a. Will Eventually Return, Twelve Tribes, and Enter the Holy Land, Likely Under Supernatural Circumstances 1b. The Reproach of Egypt Was Broken by God 2b. Bonds Will Be Broken and This Remnant Will Be Delivered Out of Babylon 1c. They Sanctified Themselves and Renewed God's Covenant 2c. Once delivered into wilderness will be free to worship, pledge and fully commit to Jesus the Messiah so they do not defile their garments, Revelation 3 4 1d. The supernatural presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant was among them 2d. The Lord's Spirit of Truth will likely be among this small remnant, along with God's supernatural assistance. There may be a possibility of reclaiming the Ark. 1e. Many enemy rulers and their armies came against them 2e. Many nations-slash-people groups of the last days Babylon Worldwide Kingdom will be aligned against this remnant 1f. They fought very strong Canaanites symbolized by chariots of iron 2f. Will fight an unconventional, silent battle against Antichrist Chaldeans, described as iron from the north 1 gram. Joshua allocated land by tribe 2g. Land that the Israel remnant will assume in the Millennial Kingdom is already established by tribe, easy. Ch. 48. Conflicts in Assuming the Land, Time of the Judges. After Joshua, 
the time of the judges was a time we are told that Israel did not know the Lord and that, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The cycle of Israel's disobedience included serving other gods and mingling with the people, thereby ending up oppressed, captive and persecuted as a result of God selling them into their enemies' hands. Then God would give them a judge to defeat their enemies and save them. This would be followed by a time of rest and peace before the cycle repeated. During this historical period of Israel's judges, the enemies left among them, especially in the northern land, served as a test for Israel. Scripture tells us that God did this intentionally. Many fights and conflicts with these enemies occurred in and around Ephraim, which emerged as the strongest of the northern tribes. In the process of fighting, certain courageous judges emerged, for example Ehud, Gideon, Jephthah, Samuel, etc., as well as some heroic female figures, for example Deborah, Yael, Hannah, an unnamed woman who slew Abimelech, etc. Some judges like Gideon and Samuel were visited directly by God, and several received God's supernatural presence and power in the course of fighting similar to that which Joshua had received. Power like the following will apply again in the last day's spiritual kingdom war. They fought from heaven, the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon. O my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Judge 5 20-21. Although Israel had power, at times it was its own enemy, and did not support its fellow brethren in their righteous battles. The verse above represents the supernatural assistance the judge Deborah and her captain Barak received in fighting against the Amalekites. However, Scripture makes a point to tell us that tribes of Dan, Reuben, along with Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan, did not assist Deborah. The tribe of Gad again did not support Gideon and his fighting men when they passed through. Ephraim did not support Jephthah versus the Ammonites, Japheth later had to remind complaining Ephraim that it was by his own hands that he slew many. Jotham, the lone surviving son of Gideon after Abimelech's slaying of all of his brothers summarized this entire problem as he spoke to the men of Shechem, a problem which represented the corrupt power and bloodshed within the house of Israel. The following, spoken by Jotham, will have newfound meaning for the righteous, yet rejected and persecuted, Jacob Judah small flock who are Israel's holy, royal remnant in these last days. Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou, and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow, and if not, let fire come out of the bramble, and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely, in that ye have made Abimelech king, and if ye have dealt well with Jerubbaal, Gideon, and his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, for my father fought for you, and adventured his life far, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, and ye are risen up against my father's house this day, and have slain his sons, threescore and ten persons, upon one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother, if ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, and devour the men of Shechem, and the house of Milo, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem, and from the house of Milo, and devour Abimelech. Judge 9 14-20. God indeed set evil between Shechem and Abimelech in one more example of how one, evil, house divided against itself cannot stand. They turned against each other. Shechem was destroyed. Then, God's principle of judgment in doing to others as they have done eventually came upon corrupt Abimelech when he was killed in battle soon after. If it wasn't corrupt leaders among them, the house of Israel's people at large did evil and committed wicked acts again and again because of the false gods they served. The people of the tribe of Benjamin committed horrible evil against an Ephraimite's concubine, 
and as a result the tribe was nearly completely wiped out in fighting by the rest of Israel as punishment. Of course in the last phase of the time of the judges and amidst a continuing disobedient house of Israel, a certain Ephraimite loved his wife Hannah, and regularly gave to her a double portion of his offerings. She had been barren and as such was persecuted by her adversary. Hannah became another example of a heroic woman and mother of Israel, with a prophetic vision and prayer of having a son as follows. O Lord of hosts, if Thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of Thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget Thine handmaid, but wilt give unto Thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. 1 Sam 1:11. The Lord answered Hannah's prayers. She offered her son Samuel at Shiloh. When Samuel was older, the Lord appeared to him, also at Shiloh. Samuel was the last, righteous, judge-slash-prophet prior to the time period of Israel's kings. Samuel made the circuit in the northern land, sternly warning the people of Israel about their rebellion, yet Israel continued in their wicked ways apart from God. This included a wicked, corrupt line of priests, Eli, that God promised he would cut off. Israel as a whole then requested a king instead of God. God relented, and Samuel anointed Saul in Mount Ephraim. Saul went to Gilgal to be made king, where Samuel proclaimed they would renew the kingdom there. It will be in these last days that the corrupt, disobedient house of Israel will again have Samuel-type Jesus Christ disciples and messengers in their midst but they will again request an alternate king-slash-messiah who will prove to be their enemy, the Antichrist. The last days northern kingdom represented largely by the nation of Babylon U.S. will likely have a very powerful, yet highly corrupt house of Israel line of rulers and priests in their midst. We will see more indications of this in part 2. Themes from the Judges' Time Applicable to the End Times Northern Kingdom In our current last day's time period, you can be assured that the blinded, rebellious house of Israel is again on the downside of the cycle and that there is very little real faith in the true King of Israel, Jesus Christ. The Lord Spirit of Truth who will be on the earth in these end times and is Jacob Judah small flock remnant in the midst of their silent spiritual kingdom battle will not yet be visible to the larger, blinded, corrupt house of Israel. This small remnant will go into hiding for a time once the tribulation period begins. Meanwhile, the following table includes a summary of events from the time of the Judges and Samuel that will apply to our last day's northern kingdom of Israel and its holy remnant. Items in column 2 have addressed extensively in prior passages on this site. Column 1, Judges and Israel Column 2, End Times Jacob Judah Small Flock Remnant in Today's Last Day's Northern Kingdom 1a. Were surrounded by various, hostile enemies 2a. Antichrist Chaldean mob of many nations will pursue and persecute the holy Jacob Judah remnant first, and then will pursue the larger house of Israel and Christ's faithful 1b. Were oppressed, captive, i.e. sold, and persecuted 2b. This happens to the Jacob Judah small flock remnant first, then the larger house of Israel and Christ's faithful will awaken to the imprisoning Babylonian matrix system aligned against them 1c. Courageous judges arose and fought 2c. The righteous Jacob Judah remnant will win an initial unconventional style battle and subsequent release and deliverance from bondage by God 1d. Israel infighting and conflicts occurred 2d. Large, powerful houses of Israel and Judah aligned against the Jacob Judah small flock remnant 1e. Were disobedient, corrupt, far from God 2e. Corrupt, evil house of Israel and Judah leaders and priests will be a significant part of the last day's oppressive, persecuting Antichrist called the New World Order 1f. God's presence was with Israel's judges in the Holy Land 2f. The Lord's Spirit of Truth will be among the holy, small flock remnant in Babylon U.S. And then in the wilderness, thus, likely holy ground. Israel's Early Kings In this final section, 
I will look at the time of the first kings of Israel, prior to the northern kingdom split off. We are reminded in Scripture that successive kings Saul, David and Solomon were kings that were over all Israel during this time. While I have previously covered the historical house of Judah and David as it might pertain to these end times in my passage entitled, Historical Precedent for End Times Battles and Alliances, in this current passage I will briefly summarize certain events during the time of Saul and the early house of David specifically in order to, 1, establish their link to the northern land and people in their time, and 2, show how certain events could represent a signal for events to take place in the last day's northern kingdom, which is largely Babylon, U.S. Saul as discussed above, Israel's first king, Saul, a Benjaminite, was anointed and crowned by Samuel in Gilgal. Saul was originally blessed by the Lord through Samuel and we are told saved Israel with his initial victory in battle against the Ammonites in Jabesh Gilead. After Saul appointed David as a captain, and after David's success, however, Saul grew to disdain David in the beginning of what we are told became a long war between the two houses. Saul turned against David and sought his life. His pursuit after David took place at least partly in the land and wilderness north of Judah territory. While David and his loyal men fled, Saul was ruthless against any who were loyal to David. David and his fleeing always seemed to remain one step ahead, and a couple of those who supported him had somewhat divine escapes out of Saul's pursuing hands, which in a way, may remind of Jotham's escape from his brother Abimelech described above, as well as additional escapees that I will cover in part 2. Of the priests who assisted David on his journey and gave him hallowed bread, one escaped from Saul's slaughter of them and returned to David. Saul's own son Jonathan was another one who was saved by the people after he took food, honeycomb, from the northern land, Ephraim, against Saul's orders for his fighting men. Interestingly, in eating the honey, Scripture tells us that Jonathan became enlightened. Jonathan gained spiritual discernment. Related to this, the saving of particular individuals in biblical history may be viewed as having some additional, significant meaning. In a broad sense, some meaning here and with other individuals saved in biblical history could at least loosely apply to God saving certain remnant servants, i.e. such as a few olives left on the tree, Ref, Isaiah 17 6, in the midst of war and persecution against the house of Israel in these last days. Meanwhile, Saul had recognized his son Jonathan was loyal to God's anointed, David. He considered both as enemies among others whom he pursued. Saul's heart grew cold and corrupted over time as he departed from God and consulted wicked spirits. While Saul sought other gods, David in this war in contrast proclaimed, the battle is the Lord's. God would eventually judge Saul for his disobedience, and he and his sons including Jonathan died in battle versus the Philistines in the northern land of Jezreel slash Mount Gilboa. David, in his loyalty, however, lamented even the death of his enemy and proclaimed. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain, upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. 2 Sam 1:21. Perhaps there was irony in this because later, when David was king, he and his people suffered through a three-year famine that God brought on as a result of Saul's committing ruthless bloodshed against the Gibeonites who had previously entered into a covenant of peace with Joshua and Israel. David. While David's life was safer once Saul was killed, nevertheless, the war continued between his house and Saul's. One of Saul's captains immediately pronounced Saul's surviving son Ishbosheth as king over various northern peoples and lands and all Israel. David and his fighting men, however, prevailed over Saul's son and David was anointed to reign over all Israel instead. Of course, although David had internal strife and some challenges within his own house, he had broad support over all, and commanded a great army. Unfortunately, his insurrectionist son Absalom and supporters who raised up against him were slain. 
this was a battle in the woods of the territory of Ephraim. Otherwise, David was committed to a campaign of recapturing the land God had originally given to Israel, through Abraham, and this included expanding north to the Euphrates. In doing this, David slew Syria and established garrisons there. He also formed an alliance with Tyre. Solomon Solomon was the next king over all Israel, anointed by David. All of the princes of the twelve tribes served Solomon. Solomon appointed Ephraimite Jeroboam, a man of valor, over the house of Joseph to the north. Solomon benefited from his father David's northern conquest and continued to have dominion over lands to the north of Israel as it currently existed. Solomon's kingdom and his building of the Lord's house, assisted with some supplies, furniture and workmanship from Lebanon and Tyre, provided us with a brief prophetic snapshot of what will be the soon-coming building of the Millennial Temple where Jesus Christ will reign. I will interject here that cedars of Lebanon, some of which were seen as growing in the northern part of the northern kingdom, can be symbolically representative of a righteous Israel leadership, and these apply in some prophetic scripture to a last day's holy remnant that will have ties to the eternal temple in Jerusalem. Perhaps not surprisingly, the name Lebanon is associated with attributes of, wisdom, heart, courage, etc. Ref, Bible Hub. Solomon in his glory was visited, blessed by, and had peace with nations even far beyond Israel who observed his incredible power and kingdom as it was bestowed upon him by God. God had been pleased with Solomon's request for wisdom, and declared, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches, and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. 1 Key 3:12-13. As did his father David, Solomon kept aware and mindful of the eternal nature of the kingdom of Israel. During his feast offering to the Lord, Solomon's prayer to God also had prophetic elements and foresight of a future, likely end times Israel that would disobey, but that would call upon God for forgiveness, restoration and a return to the land. Solomon also prayed for future strangers who would eventually come and seek the Lord. God's response, which included a timeless kingdom promise to Solomon and the house of David was as follows. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom, according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. 2 Kron 7 14-18 Solomon's own reign proved to be temporary. He strayed from God's instructions above. Ironically, the same reason that his kingdom fell was the reason that his house's eventual northern kingdom adversary, Jeroboam's, who split off would also eventually be torn down, that is, Solomon's foreign wives turned him to other gods. Solomon's successor son Rehoboam's reign was a much trimmed down version of the kingdom of Judah while the remaining tribes defected to Jeroboam to the north. Scripture tells us that there was conflict between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all of their days. Furthermore, Scripture describes this ongoing conflict, even likely applying up until these last days, as follows, and Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day, 2 Kron 10 19. Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom who broke off from the house of David, made large errors in causing the people to worship foreign, false gods, these were gods such as the gold calves that he set up when he fortified his house in Shechem, 
Mount Ephraim. His rebellion caused God's declaration of eventual destruction for the entire northern kingdom. In Jeroboam's day, his own fear began to be realized when priests and Levites in Israel defected and returned to Judah to worship. Scripture tells us that many strangers and people in the northern land even in post-Jeroboam days continued to be gathered out of Ephraim slash Manasseh to seek and worship the Lord in Jerusalem. While Solomon's son Rehoboam was tempted to go to war with Jeroboam, he obeyed God's instruction not to go to war with his house of Israel brethren. Rehoboam's same sentiment, however, was carried forth by his successor son Abiyah who pronounced and reminded the northern kingdom of the following when he spoke publicly to Jeroboam in Ephraim. Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel, ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? 2 Chronicles 13 4-5. Jeroboam rebelled against Abiyah and ambushed Jerusalem and destroyed many, but then Judah turned and defeated him. Judah came forth and captured northern cities and towns of Bethel and Ephraim. Judah still maintained faith in the Lord during this time. Themes from the time of Israel's early kings that are applicable to the end times northern kingdom. The summary above contains selected elements of the people in Israel during the time of the early kings up until the land was divided. A summary of particular themes from this time period as they may similarly apply in the last days are given in the following table. Items in column 2 have addressed extensively in prior passages on this site. Column 1, Early Kings and Israel Column 2, End Times Jacob Judah Small Flock Remnant in Today's Last Days Northern Kingdom 1a. Worshipped Foreign, False Gods 2a. Babylon U.S. End Times Northern Kingdom, is the center of Antichrist Chaldean false god worship and blasphemy against the God of Israel and his holy family remnant 1b. Holy, God-chosen kings and their servants had important ties to the northern territory-slash-kingdom 2b. Much of the last days holy Jacob Judah remnant carrying God's covenant promises will reside in and then come out of the last days northern kingdom 1c. Conquered lands and people to the north 2c. The last days Jacob Judah remnant will conquer peoples in a northern foreign land, especially the northern kingdom, Babylon U.S.1d. The beginnings of God's eternal kingdom in Jerusalem were apparent in Solomon's kingdom and his building of the house of the Lord 2d. Will rebuild and restart the kingdom of God when they travel back to the holy build the temple and serve Jesus Christ on God's holy hill 1e. Rebelled against God's anointed house of David 2e. Both end times Judah, possibly including a corrupt house of David, and northern kingdom of Israel will rebel against a righteous small flock house of Jacob and David. A last day Saul type enemy is possible as well. 1f. Some in the northern territory slash kingdom were enlightened and had discernment as to evil and false gods around them versus God's anointing of David's house in Jerusalem 2f. Gentiles and the larger house of Israel will travel to return to the Lord in Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation period slash beginning of the millennial kingdom 1g. Righteousness and obedience during this time was observed only in Judah, house of David 2 grams. A small remnant of the otherwise corrupt last days northern kingdom of Israel will return based on the Lord's spirit of truth and the leadership of a righteous, holy Jacob Judah remnant, including a house of David remnant. Based on this summary table and others given earlier in this passage, you have likely noted common themes in Israel's history that may apply for today's last days northern kingdom and God's Christ-believing house of Israel. A quick, simple summary, yet strong indicative pattern, of these events as they may pertain again includes that the righteous Israel remnant will dwell amongst many enemies, internal and external experience persecution by these enemies. Be called to, righteous, battle against them. Ultimately be delivered by God. Return to God's millennial kingdom under the reign of Jesus Christ. Tilda. In part 2, 
I will continue to examine the biblical history of the Northern Kingdom during the time of its kings and particular signs and events in this period that may be applicable for our current last day's time period. Grace and Peace. Lion's Lair, LL.